Amen. Uh, you know, sometimes, well, I say a lot of the time, people walk into church, hallelujah, glory to God, kumbaya, and we go up to each other and we say, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great, but inside we're dying, or inside we're really struggling. We put on our church face, and we come into faith, at church, and uh, I'm not going to say we lie, but sometimes we're not entirely truthful because we're really struggling with something. I'm going to talk to you today about a man who had a real, real issue, and that is he had a withered hand, and it's in Mark's gospel, his story. And I want to read that story to you, and then I want to talk to you about how Jesus restored him. And I'm also going to talk about the terribleness of religion. We say, well, what are you talking about? I'm in church. This is a religion. No, it's not. It's a relationship. Religion is something totally different. So we're going to talk about that. And let me just read out of Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along with me, or if you want to follow on the screen, let's read quickly through this story. Here's Jesus. He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they, now the they is the Pharisees, and we're going to talk about them. They watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. Everybody say, that's messed up. You're going to accuse somebody of healing somebody's withered hand? Yeah, they were sick. Religion made, made them that way. Verse 3, he said to the man who had the withered hand, everybody say it with me, step forward. Then he said to them, is it law to them as the Pharisees? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. They knew better. You can't talk back to Jesus. He's going to get you. Right? So they kept silent. Verse 5, and when he had looked around at them with anger, everybody say righteous anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. Now, you would think religious leaders would fall on their face and say, Hallelujah, we have found Messiah. But look what they did. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy or kill him. Everybody say, that's really messed up. But see, religious folk, they'll kill you. Religious folk will kill you. Uh, all right, so we're going to talk about that. Father, we just thank you for your blessing today. Speak to us and help us, Lord, to come to you today as this man did for restoration and for healing and for wholeness, not caring what anybody thinks. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. You better listen. I think you're going to need this. Amen. Thank you so much. Praise God. Now, I want to look at this story today uh, and, and so that I can highlight some things about Jesus. I love talking about Jesus, reading the Gospels. I, I just love doing it because the Bible tells the truth about Jesus and what he did and who he was. Now, if, if we just read out of chapter 3, but if you were to jump back to chapter 2, here's what you would find. These Pharisees are like New Testament stalkers when it came to Jesus. They followed him everywhere he went. 
always looking to trap him, always looking to catch him in something that they could accuse him with. They, they were, you know, what is the devil called? Diabolos. What does that mean? It means accuser. The, the devil's name means accuser, but of who? Of the brethren. That's the devil. He's always hopping into your brain to accuse you. He wants to accuse you to yourself. He wants you to think it's your thoughts, but it's really a lot of the time not your thoughts at all. He's come in to try to try to see if you will leave the door open for him to condemn you, accuse you, beat you down so that you don't witness, so you don't pray, so you don't read your Bible, go to church. He's the accuser of the brethren. He tar- targets the brethren with accusations about anything and everything. And here he's manifested in these Pharisees. And, he's, and they're targeting Jesus. And one accusation after another, if you go back and read, they accuse him of eating with sinners. What are you doing eating with sinners? You know, he was always uh, sitting down with the tax, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the down and outers, the, the ostracized of society. He was, he was always sitting down with them. And talking with them. And when they shot this at him, he said, the son of man didn't come to save the healthy. The son of man came to save the sick. And so that's why I'm always with these people. Now, then they accuse his disciples of never fasting. And we see the way it works in the church today. First they accuse Jesus. Then they came after his people, after his followers. And they accused them. You don't ever fast. Why don't you ever fast like we, the, the true righteous ones, do? And then they accused his disciples of breaking the Sabbath by plucking grain in the field of wheat because they were hungry. And they, they, they accused his, his disciples, and by default, they were accusing him for letting his disciples break the Sabbath rules that they, the Pharisees, had themselves embellished and created. And every time Jesus answered them masterfully, he did not want to get into a debate with Jesus. You would never win. He was always going to checkmate you. Now, in our text, they're hovering like vultures. Jesus has gone into the synagogue. He's gone into the synagogue on the Sabbath to worship. And they went in there not to worship God. They went in there to catch Jesus and doing something wrong. That was their whole modus operandi. That's what they were about. We want to catch him so we can accuse him and ultimately so that we can have him executed. Now, I do think it's worth noting that Mark points out that Jesus entered the synagogue again. Again. You know what the Bible tells us about Jesus? It was his habit from boyhood to never miss church. You talk about an example for going to church. All of you are here. I know I'm talking to the choir. Some of you watching by online. Don't let COVID keep you away. Because we're not going to let COVID dictate our lives anymore. No, no, no. No, we're moving forward fully and 100% in the will and purpose of God. And um, yeah, so uh, I know COVID's real. I'm not downplaying it, but it's not going to dictate what we do here in church. We are marching forward more aggressively than maybe ever. And you'll be hearing about it in the weeks to come. 
But so Jesus was, was a faithful attender of church. Now, on this particular day, when he went to the synagogue, there was probably about 30 to 50 people. There were no mega churches. This was Jewish worship. And in the typical synagogue, there were about 30 to 50 people, about this section right here, okay? And Jesus walks in, and, and, and when he walks in, Mark points out immediately that there is a man in there with a withered hand. There's a man in there with a withered hand. The word for withered means to dry up or to waste away. It lets us know that this man's hand used to be perfectly healthy and functional. He wasn't born this way. Something happened. He either got injured or he had some kind of major crippling arthritis, something. But the hand that was once healthy and functional was now withered and useless. He could not use it. It was a useless hand now. And Jesus walks in and sees him. Now, let me go a little further in describing his condition because we need to see ourselves in him to a point because it's easy to surmise that this man's life was spent alone in in misery and embarrassment and likely in great need because he's a man. His ego is in his ability to work and and he can't work now. His hand is withered. He, he knew what it was like to walk into a room and look strong and robust. And, and now this thing has happened to him. And, and he's in great need more than likely because he can't work. Because in those days, it was an agrarian culture. Everybody was essentially farmers. So you worked by the sweat of your brow and you needed your hands. And if you didn't have your hands, chances are you could not work. You could not earn a living. So he was out there. There was no welfare. Uh, There was no one to take care of him. And so we we can safely guess that he was reduced to begging. He had to sit on the streets and say, spare change. Any spare change? And so he was not just the withered hand, but he was humiliated. He 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 was shot down. He was he was probably thinking pretty often, I can't believe it's come to this. I used to be so strong, so able, so capable, and now I'm reduced to sitting on the side of a street hoping that people have pity on me and and giving me money because I can't earn a living. He, He may have lived in a dirty cave or on the filthy streets. He had no place because he had no income, no cash flow. When Jesus spotted him sitting in the synagogue, he, he was probably a, a, a dirty, scruffy mess, a shadow of what he used to be because of the withered hand, because of that which was withered. He was reduced to this because of that which was beyond his control. He had no control over this. And generally, when something gets withered in our life, we don't have control. Something hits out of the blue negative report from the doctor, some accident, life happens, life happens. You do know that life happens to Christians. And so why was he in church? Well, he was probably went in there 
hoping against hope for some word of hope to help him in his hopeless life. So he's in there as a beggar. And I want to point out three things that just jump at me from this, this story. First, Jesus saw his need. Jesus saw his need. Do you see here that the very first thing Jesus noticed was the greatest need in the room? Jesus was homed in on the greatest need in the room. That's the first thing he saw. He didn't see uh, the who's who's. He didn't go in there to rub shoulders with the teachers. He didn't go in there to see somebody's new uh, sandals. No, Jesus went in there, and Jesus being Jesus, the first thing he noticed is the greatest need in the room. He homed in on the greatest need that was in the room. And this was routinely what Jesus Christ, our Savior, who bled and died on the cross for us, this is exactly the way he always was, and I'm going to tell you, the way he still is. He, he, he noticed the greatest need in the room. Everywhere Jesus went, he focused on, he found and help the, the blind, the lame, the heartbroken, the destitute, the sick, and, and the lost. Wherever he went, this is what he did. The book of Acts describes him this way. Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Who did Jesus home in on? Those that were oppressed of the devil. Those that needed help. Those that were down for the count. Those are the ones that Jesus homed in on and reached out to and focused on wherever he went. That's our Jesus. It says, for God was with him. Now, the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he's the same forever. It, it, we read the Bible. Read the red ink. Read the red part. And read about everything Jesus did. Who he was. What he said. How he reached out to the down and outers. And those in greatest need. And you can know he's the same today. He's exactly the same today. And he'll be the same forever. So he hasn't changed in character. He's only changed location. But having changed location, what did he do? He said, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to send the comforter. And he is going to comfort you. And he's going to minister in my stead. So it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, you won't get the comforter. But if I go away, you're going to get the comforter. And he, will, and he, when he comes, he's going to convict the world of their sin, of righteousness, and of coming judgment. When he comes, he's going to be active in the earth. Listen to me, everybody. The Holy Spirit is going to be active in the earth, all over the earth. And what's he going to be doing? He's going to be seeking out those that Jesus sought out all the time. The needy, the destitute, the hungry, the lost, the afflicted. Those whose lives are withered by living in a fallen world infested with sin and devils. He hadn't changed in character. He's just changed location. But thank God, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. And when the Holy Spirit fell, an invasion of Satan's planet, an invasion of his kingdom took place. And it's been going on ever since. You are here today because the Holy Ghost sought you out and found you and convicted you. And so am I. The Holy Ghost sought me out, 
found me in juvenile home as a 16-year-old boy, all messed up, no God, no understanding of Christianity, never heard the gospel in my life, but the Holy Ghost knew where I was. And Jesus sought me out. And you talk about a withered life. My life was a withered life. But Jesus loves to approach that which is withered, that he might restore it. Jesus sees you in the sanctuary today. See, he walked into the synagogue. I'm guessing this man probably walked around like this. Because he's embarrassed. He doesn't say that. But I know people, and I, I, I don't know if he had a jacket, whatever he had, but I'm thinking he hid what was withered. And when he walked into the synagogue, he was hiding it. He was embarrassed. He liked saying hello with the good hand, but he didn't like having to expose the withered hand. And, and Jesus walked in. Now listen, he hadn't changed. I just read to you, he hadn't changed. So right here in this sanctuary, he's already walked in. And, and, and you know what? He sees your need. He sees what is withered in your life. Can I have an amen? He sees what is withered in your life. He sees what is withered in your life. It used to be healthy and whole, but now it's not. He, he sees the need it, because that's the first thing. He's a need detector. You know, we talk about radar detectors. We talk about uh, uh, smoke detectors. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus was a need detector. And, and Jesus... When he walks into a place, he, he immediately looks at the need. And you've got a need today, and Jesus already knows about it. He's already focused on it. And I believe by the end of this service, we're going to have some restoration. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. First of all, we're all withered by sin. We need to understand that we're all withered by sin. Sin withers. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, the whole human race became withered by sin. By sin came death. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. We were all born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and that's why we needed a Savior. Sin has withered all of us. Not only did we inherit Adam's sin, but then we did some real good sinning on our own. And you know what sin does? It withers it, it, de it decreases, it subtracts, it, it, it takes away from, it's a thief, it's a, it's, it, it's a liar, it steals, it kills, sin does. The enemy has come for no other reason but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And how does he do it? He does it by sin. When we sin against God, and all of us have done it, it has withered our life. Uh, the whole human race out there is withered right now. I wish I could go on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, and yes, Fox. And I, and I wish I could go on there and look in the camera. I wouldn't be real popular, I guarantee you. Uh, they wouldn't have me back, but I would love five minutes to say the problem with America is not race trouble, drug trouble, murder trouble, violence trouble. The trouble with America is sin. It's an S-I-N problem. And it has withered the entire human race. And that's why Jesus bled and died on the cross for you and me. Because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
there is hope in Jesus and only in Jesus. Muhammad didn't die for you. Buddha didn't die for you. One of the thousand plus gods in Hinduism didn't die for you. Listen, you can't hug a tree and be saved. You can't be saved being a good person. There's only one man in history that died for you and me. His name is Jesus. So the whole human race is withered. But now, uh, we can put it another way that all of us here today have some area in our life that is withered, something that's a shadow of what it used to be. But now we're withered because of life and events and attacks from the enemy and, and, and other people and bad decisions and, and, and just life happens. And so because of that, most everyone in here has some area in your life, truth be known, you walk in a church like this. You wave, how you doing? Oh, hallelujah, kumbaya, I'm blessed to be envied and all this other stuff. But you got something that needs to be touched. I have some things that need to be touched. We all do, and we always will until we go to heaven. Amen? Can I tell you the truth today? But I'm here to tell you that there is a God who restores what is withered. Uh, hear me, there's a God. Listen, how about, it could be a withered marriage. Once filled with joy and fulfillment and excitement and peace, time and trials have hammered away on your marriage until it is withered and all but lifeless. And when you get around people, it's like this. Because you know that you need to be touched. And I came today to preach a Jesus to you that can touch what is withered. It's, it's never hopeless and it's never over till God has had his say. It might be a withered walk with God. I've seen a lot of those post-COVID. A, a withered walk with God. Some of you watching, some of you watching later, and I'm not condemning. Listen, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, and, and if you can't be here for some reason, I'm so glad that you're with us online. But I've also run across people who, man, they're at the mall. Oh, yeah, they're at the mall. They're at McDonald's. Uh, they're in Home Depot walking around, no mask. Oh, I can't go to church. No, I'm afraid of COVID. Got to be careful. Some of you are saying, well, I didn't come to get my toes stepped on. No, I came to break your toes. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But, but I want you to listen carefully. See, so many people, the COVID thing withered them. They got away from church and they got away from the Bible. They got away from the things of God. And now the walk with God they had pre-COVID, it's withered. And I want to tell you, God wants to restore your walk. You need to get back in the house of God. We need you here. We want you here. You need to be back in the house of God worshiping, forsaking not the assembling of yourself together as the habit of some is, but all the more as you see the day approaching. But other things can wither your walk with God. Sin withers your walk with God, or, or neglect of your inner man withers your walk with God. And, and today, truth be known, your walk you used to be on fire, you used to be full of zeal, and now you're just kind of going through the motions because it's not what it used to be. I'm not condemning you. I'm only pointing out that whatever is withered, there is a restorer in the house. And he wants to breathe on what is withered and restore it and get it back to life. It may be your faith. Your hope, your expectations are withered. 
oh, I see this happen so much in what I do as a pastor. You had high expectations of what your future held. You just knew there was going to be this, that, and the other in your future. You had just this, you were excited about life. You would wake up in the morning and say, uh, good morning, Lord, instead of good Lord, it's morning. But, but life and hard times went down and now your hope is replaced with a withering disillusionment because what you thought was going to come about didn't come about. That person, that place, that thing, that ministry, that job, whatever it is, and, and your, your faith took a hit. Your expectations took a hit. And, and now you're not bubbly and zealous and on fire and aflame for God, but you're you're just barely getting by and getting up and making it to church from time to time. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is in the house and he's already focused on what is withered in your life. And he wants to touch it today. It's quiet in this place. Yeah. See, whatever it may be, I want you to know that Jesus sees it like he saw this man's withered hand. Now hold that thought. Let me talk to you about these miserable Pharisees for a minute and religion. Hold that thought. Say with me, there's a restorer in the house. Now hold that thought. And I want you to notice that Jesus called out the blindness of religion. I got to talk about religion because so many people have religion and not relationship, but they think they have relationship because they have religion, but they don't have relationship because religion has lied to them about relationship. What is religion? It's man's best effort to get into heaven by his own works. You're going to get there by jumping through the right hoops enough times where God says, okay, I'll open up the gates and I will let you in. You're righteous. You're good. You're a good guy. 72% of Americans polled said they believed that they were essentially a good person and that would get them into heaven. But Christianity, here, listen to what Christianity is. It is not getting into heaven by your own good works, but it's getting into heaven by his good works particularly his work on the cross, his death on the cross. Christianity is not me jumping through the right hoops. It is believing in the one who did jump through all the right hoops and died on the cross and his blood covers the sin of everyone who calls out on him. That's real Christianity. It's relationship. When I place faith in him and I believe that, I am adopted as a child of God, and I cry out, Abba, Father, you're my heavenly daddy now. I've got a heavenly father now. I have been adopted into the family of God. I'm no longer alone. I will forever be in the family of God. It's relationship. The Pharisees, they were just waiting for Jesus to do something they could accuse him of. We read that. They were nothing but about rules and regulations and righteousness by their own performance. They lived miserable legalistic lives because they felt they had to live life perfectly to get into heaven. Fulfill that Mosaic law perfectly. By the time of Jesus, they had so corrupted the Mosaic law, they had added so many things to it that it was absolutely undoable, unworkable. You could not live the way the Pharisees wanted you to live and told you you had to live, you couldn't do it, and they couldn't do it either. That's why Jesus looked at them once and said, what sorrow awaits you 
experts in religious law. For you crush people with unbearable religious demands. And yet you never lift a finger to ease the burden. That's religion. Religion crushes you under demands. Religion says you got to do this, you got to do that. If you don't do this and don't do that, you're not going to heaven. So you live this life of legalism. This life, there is nothing more deadly than religion. Because religion tells you because you're basically a good person, you're going to go to heaven. Because you live basically a good life. Don't get traffic tickets. You're a good parent. Uh, uh, you're a good citizen. You, you, live, you live a law-abiding life that because of that, you're going to go to heaven. And religion lies to you. Because it's not true. You and I will never get into heaven by religion. By jumping through the hoops. Only when we stop and say, Jesus Christ, I believe you died for me and rose again from the dead so that I could be saved and forgiven and delivered from hell and brought into heaven. I put my faith in you. And when you do that, and only when you do that, do you go to heaven. Religion is a liar. Amen. So we read about these religious hypocrites. Here they are in the synagogue. And it says, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Can I read that again? Can everybody say it with me one more time? That is messed up. Because they're, they're, they're knowing. This guy, everywhere he goes, he does miracles. I don't know how, and I don't really care. I just know that he's messing up my lifestyle, and he's getting all of my followers. So, so, so I'm watching for him to do something where I can say he broke the Sabbath. So they were watching for him. These are the teachers of the law. These are the people that were standing in front of the pulpit uh, in, in the synagogues each and every week and teaching God's word to the people and they're watching Messiah to see if he heals so they can kill him. Religion. They're supposed to be God's representatives to the Jewish people and by default to the whole world. Are they God's representatives here? No. They're looking to kill God. Empty religion had so blinded them, instead of turning to Jesus by the constant miracles he did, they were only looking to take him out so he would quit messing with their lifestyle. The Bible says that Jesus really didn't care. It says after he restored the man's hand, they immediately went out and said, how can we kill him? How can we kill him? We got to take this guy out. Not one of them hit the ground and said, oh, my Lord, we just saw a miracle. We just saw a withered hand, totally useless hand, totally healed. He must be Messiah. No, none of that. Religion had so blinded their eyes. It's law without compassion. It is judgment without mercy. It is straining at the gnat of nitpicky rules while swallowing the camel of leading people to hell. That's religion. But now comes the good part. Jesus could have cared less what the Pharisees thought about anything. And Jesus says to the man, get, I love this, get up. Everybody say get up. And here's the man. He's sitting in the crowd. Okay. And Jesus points him out. Oh, great. I come to the synagogue, and now Jesus points me out. Oh, great. Now he's telling me to stand up. Surely if I stand up, they're going to notice I'm hiding this hand. He says, get up. 
Everybody, listen, sometimes you've got to get up out of your situation. Sometimes you've got to quit sitting there uh, like the, like the uh, lepers in the Old Testament where it says, why are we sitting here until we die? Sometimes you've got to get up. Sometimes you've got to stand up. So Jesus said, get up. Jesus said, get up and come forward. It was an altar call. Get up and come forward. Get up and come forward. And then in verse 5, stretch out your hand. So three commands, stand up, come forward, stretch out your hand. So here he is, he's sitting in the synagogue, he's blended with the crowd, and all of a sudden, this dude, he's not the teacher, who is this guy? He just came in like the rest of us, and now he's staring right at me, and why is he telling me to get up? But there was something about Jesus, you could not ignore the command. Listen, he talked to dead people and they got up. Right? So here he is and he thinks, do I get up? I mean, this is the moment of decision. Do I get up or do I sit here? Now listen, folks, when you hear Jesus say, get up, that is respond to me, move forward in faith, take an action, do something. You don't sit there. You've got a decision to make. I can sit here in misery the rest of my life or I can get up. And so it says he got up. And then Jesus made it worse. He said, come forward. Well, now I'm in front of everybody. But I still got my hand covered up here. I'm okay so far, but I, I, I'm up and I'm coming forward because he told me to come forward. So, so now I'm, I'm, the crowd's behind me and I'm in front and I'm the guy in, 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 in total focus. But then he said, stretch out your hand. Oh, no, Lord. No, 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 Lord, because if I take my hand out and stretch it out, everybody's going to see what is withered. Everybody's going to see what is hurting. Everybody is going to see what has humiliated me and embarrassed me and ruined my life. Everybody's going to see it. But Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. Sometimes, folks, we've got to humble ourselves to get healed. Sometimes we've got to be willing to admit that there is something withered in our life. Not anything's ever going to get healed until we say, Lord, this thing in my life is withered and I need help. It's drugs, it's alcohol, it's some habit, it's my marriage, it's my money. It's something and it's withered. And so here this man, moment of decision, he says, okay, something about Jesus, something about his command, something about the way he talks to me and, and looks at me. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And he, and he stretched out his hand. He swallowed hard and stretched out his hand. And everybody saw that withered hand. There it was on full display. Might as well have been a spotlight on it. But watch this, everybody. He stretched it out, withered, limp, deformed. And suddenly, just like that. He went in to the synagogue having just another terrible day. He came out of the synagogue healed with a new lease on life. I wish I had a picture of the withered hand. We can only imagine. But we know that it was hard to look at because it was deformed. But, and don't you know, Everybody in that synagogue had a benefit. 
You know, there's fear fits, there's worry fits, there's anger fits, and there's benefits. And you have a benefit when God does something that blows your mind. And this is what God did. Faith mixed with obedience brought around a great miracle. Hallelujah. Now the word restored, and I'm going to close with this. We notice the Bible doesn't say he was healed. It says he was restored. There's a difference. Restore means to restore to an original position or condition. To return to what existed before a fall. To restore back to full freedom. To enjoy again what was taken away by a destructive event or power. He could go out and work now. He could walk into the synagogue. Hallelujah, I'm here today. Glory to God. Amen. I want you to stand with me, would you? You know, those words, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to offer an invitation. Jesus said, get up, come forward, stretch it out. Get up, come forward, stretch out what is withered. That means just bring it, because Jesus was the only one. He walked up to Jesus. Jesus was standing there. He walked right up to Jesus. Jesus is staring at him. It's all about him now. And Jesus said, stretch it out towards me. Towards me. Not them. Me. Before he stretched it out, it was withered. But after he stretched it out, it was healed. So I want to just give a little invitation today. You've already gotten up. It's easier now to come forward. But we're going to give to the Lord today what is withered in our life. And we're going to believe God to begin a work today of restoration. I'm not asking you to come down here and confess to the whole congregation, whatever it is. But you know what? In coming forward, notice this man had to humble himself. Wow. Okay, everybody, look at my hand. Here it is. And then it's healed. So I want you, let's just bow for a moment of prayer. If you can say, Jeff, there's some things in my life or one thing in my life that is withered, and this has spoken to me. I want you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand high. God bless you. Now I want all of you to come down. I want you just to come to the altar. Come on, come quickly. Come to the altar. Come down. Come down. not going to let religion. Religion always wants you to put on your best face and lie. All right? Religion says put your best foot forward. Christianity says put what is withered forward and let the restorer heal it. Amen? So today, we're going to believe God. It can be, listen, it can be your personality, your character. You've been through so much rejection or abandonment. Um, betrayal that now you, you can hardly trust anyone again that's withered withered trust whatever it is we're just going to give to the Lord what is withered amen how many of you believe he's here and he already knows it he already knows it 
That's right. He already knows it. So I want us to put our hands up towards him. How Jesus, this thing that is withered, this area of our life that is withered, Lord, it was out of our control. Life happened, things happened, maybe bad decisions happened. But now, Lord, we're like this man. There's that which is withered that we don't like people seeing. We don't like people knowing about. But, Lord, we need your restoration. And, Lord, Lord, we can't fix it on our own. No, Lord, this man could do nothing for himself. He had to be touched by you. And, Lord, what is withered in our life, we can't fix it. But you can fix it. You can fix it. And so, Lord, now I'm going to ask you to fill in the blank. Lord, I bring to you. Now fill in the blank and tell him what it is. I bring it to you, Lord. I stretch forth what is withered to you. And I'm asking you to begin a work of restoration this day. This day. sense the spirit of God here in the altar I sense him just saying confess it to me bring it to me describe it to me place it before me put it out in the open and tell me and let me touch it let me begin restoration in your marriage in your thoughts, in your finances, in your, in your character, in your relationship ability, in your whatever it is. Damage from what a habit did. Destruction that a failed marriage brought to you. Let Jesus have it divine surgery happening in this altar divine surgery happening in this altar in the name of the Lord Jesus I want you to say with me you are my healer you are my restorer you know everything about me make this area whole that I no longer have to hide that hand In the name of Jesus. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Thank you, Lord. 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 I wish I could tell you a couple of stories about myself and things that were restored in my life, but um, I can tell you he restores. If he couldn't restore, I wouldn't be up here. No, let me tell you, I would not be up here. But God, the Holy Spirit, has has touched many of you. If you know he touched you and heard that prayer, I want you to lift your hand. Say amen. 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 Now, just remember this, and I'll let you go. The man was healed by obedience. Jesus, get up, come forward, stretch out your hand. If he hadn't obeyed, he'd have remained in the crowd with a withered hand.
How sad that would have been. Don't you know he immediately went out job hunting? Yeah, I can work now. Amen. Because that's what the Lord does. He restores you to function. He restores you to function in life. Amen. Uh, I love you in the Lord. I'm so appreciative to every one of you uh, for coming to church, being here. This last year and a half has been so like this, so difficult in so many ways. People coming, people going, people in, people out. I have a little saying, those that are with you cannot leave. Those that aren't with you will not stay. And I, get, I pray for you all the time. I pray for you today. So I pray that today is a life changer for you. Amen. Are you glad you came to the house of God? Amen. Amen.